Hello, friends, and welcome to the Masters. Okay, before I introduce you guys, how cool is his job? He goes from the NCAA tournament and just goes right to Augusta. Did you see he was doing the interview in the finals last night, and then he shows up at the Masters today? Who's this? Jim Nance, man. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. He, that guy He's is living the an absolute dream. He's got the best job. All right. So, you know, I, I'm new with this. I'm not Michael Raziel, but, you know, I, I kind of like to go just at, by, the, by the beat of my own drum. So let's just do some introductions. You guys don't actually need introductions, but Joel, go ahead and introduce yourself. I am Draft Master Flex. I was laughing especially because I was going to ask before we started, I was going to say, which one of us is going to get to do the obligatory hello, friends? Like, you can't do a Masters <laughs> podcast unless you can start or lead in with the with the lies. I was like, we didn't discuss it. I was like, I, I bet you see it will do it. And sure enough, let it off with the, with the hello, friends. So, and by the way, for the record, the only reason I'm actually doing like an introduction, like it feels new to me because, you know, Michael's not here. Granted, he wasn't here last week either. And of course we miss him. So it's going to be, I think mostly Joel and I here, here forward, but honestly, we're going to invite Nick as much as we can. I know he's also doing the better golf pod with that. Nick, uh, tell us, did you just record the better golf pod? And for those that are listening that might not know, like introduce yourself as well. Yeah, I am uh, Nick. I go by Sticks Picks on Twitter. But yeah, we just uh, did the Better Golf podcast. It's more of a, a betting show, obviously, with a name like that. I uh, just finished that about a half hour ago. So I'm doing some edits to that and it'll be posted tonight. And I just ate some dinner. So I'm I'm carbo loaded up, had some pasta like Michael Scott right before the big race. So let's get after it. So, okay, Draftmaster Flex, Joel, you've won just, uh, I'm saying this for a reason. I'm going somewhere with this. This is not just like gloating, okay? I think in golf, just just golf. I'm not talking about the NBA 100K hit, you, you know, all that stuff. You've probably won like somewhere between 200 and 300,000 just in the last, what, seven, eight months on, on DFS. I'll take the PGA. over. I'll take the over on that. Is it more? Um, it should be about 260s in the, okay. since last summer. Okay. And Nick, just the last Masters, you know, I, I hit five figures. I, I scratched the surface of the five figures, but you hit for what What was it, like 60,000, the, the last Masters we had in 2020? It was, yeah. I took down uh, the Thunderdome, I believe, and then just some, I think I just did that, and then cash games, and then uh, a couple Millionaire America lives. But yeah, I was dialed in. I was all over Cam Smith last year, so that, or yeah. a couple months ago, if you want to call it last year. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a sweat. It was definitely a sweat, so I'm excited to get back to it. And we had we we had our secret weapon peppered in Matt Wallace in that one. I know you're in, you're in my line of both both had Matt Wallace who had a great three days. We'll talk about him later, and he kind of blew yeah, up I, on I, day four. But, but <laughs> by the way, but the reason I the reason I brought that up isn't just to be like, hey guys, you know, dial in. We're so good at this. I mean, we are. But I see. Is that a new tattoo, Nick? I'm wondering. Did some of those winnings go on your right arm, or have you had no, that tattoo? No, I've I've had all that. Yeah, yeah. that's right. been since like I haven't got a tattoo in years. You don't wear short sleeves. Oh, it's because you live in Chicago. You guys basically don't it's, own short sleeves. It's 85 sleeves, right? today. It's beautiful. Degrees? Yeah. That's it amazing. Was I'm actually sweating, but I'm, I refuse to turn on the air this early. And it's going to be like 60 tomorrow. So, you know, first time as a homeowner, it's like, do I put the AC on? Do I give in uh, to big air? Or what do I do here? You guys know, like, what's the move? Well, I know that was a flex, and that's where the money went. Not on tattoos, but on a new home Totally get Actually, it. Actually, uh, I didn't buy the home yet. When the Masters hit, the very next day, I put my order in for the golf simulator. So that's what it. it actually was. And then I just got it like three weeks ago because back order, of course. But, you know, sorry. Let's well, get back to so it. So listen, I, I don't think yeah. 
Joel, I'm going to kick this off with you. I don't think the Masters really needs much by way of introduction. I think most people that are listening to this now have probably listened to a couple other shows. I know kind of all of us have done shows already this week, if not last week, uh, on the Masters itself. So, Joel, is there anything in particular um, you're looking for in terms of, hey, this, this strokes gain metric? is what I'm looking for because, you know, for example, like off the tee, I know is, is going to be popular here. Maybe driving distance for some people. Approach might even be bigger than off the tee to some people. What did you kind of lean on? Yeah, so I think one that uh, for people that listen to this show regularly is going to be no surprise coming from me. But I think one thing at the Masters that stands out, especially is course history, right? Guys don't typically come here first time or out of the blue and have a great round, right? So you really can lean a little bit more on course history. I say that especially with the lower-tiered guys, right? All the top guys are great. So, you know, yes, we're going to kind of talk through who we like a little bit more than than someone else, but it's hard. You know, all these guys are so good that any of them can pop on, on a given week. But when we start trying to find value and start dipping down, it's like that's where we can finally find a difference on guys that, that perform better on this course, which is going to be one of the more – is one of the more difficult courses in the world. And uh, I think that's kind of where I'm going to be leaning a lot on uh, this week as well. So, Nick, I know that you're not a huge course history guy, but it is the Masters. Did you look at that a little bit harder than you normally do, or did you just kind of, you know, give it its its low weight like you normally do? No, it's a, it's actually a very, very heavy weight for me this week, and I can get in a couple other metrics if you want me to. But, yeah, this is one of the very few weeks that I actually weigh course history very strongly because you just don't see first-time winners. I don't think it's happened since, like, the 70s. So, like, that that alone says enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you've had some first-time guys do pretty well here, but so Nick, other stro- other metrics that you you know focused on? Sure. So the, actually, the the biggest weight that I had was around the green. So strokes gained around the green, and I think both of you guys are pretty big fans of that. Approach was obviously very big, but uh, driver distance wasn't that big for me. It was it's maybe like the fourth highest metric I have, but significantly lower than the top three. Same with driving accuracy. These are very wide green or very wide fairways. You don't have to be deadly accurate off the tee. You can kind of scramble your way through it as long as you're a good putter. So putting was my third. It was around the green approach and putting, but around the green was by far the biggest weight I had. And I think once we start getting into some of these players, maybe a few of them will shock you on why that is. But yeah, I'm big on around the green and approach this week. So I'll tell you, it's interesting because I think we have sort of three slightly different approaches to how we attack this. And that, to me, is really good news because to the extent we have overlap, that means that the golfers we like that we actually all liked sort of fit in each of our little tiers, each of our little structures in terms of, you know, stroke gain metrics or whatever we were kind of focusing on. Because I'll tell you, I kind of I don't you don't need to be a bomber to win here. I mean, I think that's kind of obvious, but I kind of prefer it. And especially with how fast and firm this course is going to play, particularly the greens, I kind of want a shorter shot coming, you know, um, on approach so that maybe you can get maybe a little bit more loft and land it on the green without it skipping off. So there's, I'm, I'm factoring that in. As usual, approach is going to be super big with me. Go ahead, Joel. And I, I was going to add, you definitely, like, we've seen a array of winners here. You don't need to be a bomber winner. But the statistics do say there is an advantage to guys that, that hit it further. So it's not just, you know, there is a reason that I think CSA and that that's definitely a, a stat that I'm putting in my uh, targets when I'm looking at golfers. Now, uh, that doesn't mean fade guys that aren't long. There's definitely guys that aren't long that can do well here, but I'm giving a slight edge to all guys who, who hit a bit further. 
So speaking of Joel, let's start with you. So so for those of you, I mean, I think we have kind of our regular listeners. I don't know if we have any new ones at the moment, but we do our DFS breakdown. We only have 88, 89 golfers here, so it'll be a little bit shorter. And then we'll get we'll get into some of the bets we like first round leader outrights, top 20, maybe top 40. I don't know if the top 40 market, Nick, is something you really looked at with such a short amount of golfers, but um, I'm assuming you have at least some top 20 golfers maybe to give us tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, I got, a, I got two top 40s. Uh, three top 30s and two top 20s so I I could definitely help out there awesome so Joel let's kick it let's kick it to you real quick in terms of that top tier we have Dustin Johnson John Rahm Bryson DeChambeau Justin Thomas Rory McIlroy Xander Shoffley I mean all these guys can hit it a pretty big distance obviously there's a couple that stand out from from an off the tee standpoint I don't know how much you you weighted it ultimately but who sticks out here like two or three golfers that you just love in this range so I love, and my pick to win it, my highest owned golfer this week is going to be Bryson. I think uh, I think if you remember um, when the Masters happened in November, Bryson went on that whole tangent about how this is going to be a par 68 for him and how he can reach all the par fives. And he went in there and he killed the ball, but not straight. And it was all over the course. And like he did okay. He didn't do very good. And he, and he disappointed the golfer Bryson that we're seeing right now this year is a different golfer than we saw in November, right? He is dialed in. I mean, we've seen him competing really well at each tour. He's, he's just playing so well that if he has a week where he's hitting those bombs and they're straight, and then he's just got these little wedge shots into the green where everyone else is hitting, you know, long irons, it's it's going to make a huge difference this week. And he seems really dialed in, so I'm, I'm loving Bryson. So can I ask you before, and I, I know I told you to give me a couple, so I'm going to go back to you before I go to Nick on a couple more golfers in this range you like, but I, I don't know why. I can't explain this, but when I saw him doing you know, his thing with Vijay Singh watching, I guess it was yesterday, he looked so cartoonishly ridiculous <laughs> that I was like, can I really like, because Bryson in this top tier, DJ's my guy. He was my guy. You know, he was our guy, the Wind Daily guy that we, you know, we ate the chalk and it paid off last time the, the Masters rang in, in 2020. But, you know, I, I like DJ, but Bryson was sort of my second place guy here. And somehow just watching that clip, I'm like, I don't even know how seriously he's taking this because he's so all about like the show. And I understand he's tempered down some of this, some of his antics the last like month or two. So maybe, maybe I'm just sort of like, you know, going off kilter here, but does, does that concern you at all that he seems to be more about himself than he is about kind of like the masters? So you're right. I think he definitely does soak that up where he gets that attention and, and, and all of that. But if you look at, I mean, if you take a deeper look into it, he it's 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 a little bit more that he really truly believes in that. Like, he's not just doing it for sure. He sure. truly believes that's going to help him win this tournament. And you know, there's stretches where he's right. I mean, he's we saw times where he just dominates the field, and he's got to be locked in. There's times where he's not locked in, and he and he does. He kind of falls off. He is definitely a boomer bust. Like, don't play Bryson hoping to get a top ten. You play Bryson because you hope he's going to win it. And I think that's where he is this week. I think. You know, he took it really seriously in November. Like, he was talking about that tournament like he wanted to win it. It didn't work out. He was probably embarrassed. That's why I think he's been relatively quiet, other than that video. But you haven't heard him say much this week. <laughs> I think he's kind of – he took his licks last time. And I think he's now he's just focused in on trying to prove that he can win this tournament. I think he's going to do really well this week. Okay, real quick. Give me give me two other golfers in this range. It sounds like Bryson's going to be your top ownership. Give me your second place and third place guy. Bryson's my guy. It's hard to not like DJ. Uh, DJ really likes this tournament. He's taking it really seriously. He, he, I feel like he dropped out last week just to prepare this week. So um, 
it's hard to get away from DJ at this price. You know, you're going to have to be creative putting him in your lineups, but he's definitely, to me, he's going to be there. He's going to compete. Um, and the, the round out this, this, this one, I want to go with Rom. I mean, I think between Rom and Thomas, I like them both. You can't go wrong with any of the top guys. Uh, I kind of like, I'm getting behind a little bit of the storyline that, you know, he just had his baby and he's going to come back again this week and, and maybe get a championship for the, for the fan. That's fair. Um, Nick, let's, let's kick it to you. Give me two or three guys you like in this range. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if I'm on Bryson or not. I haven't made that decision yet, but I was interested to see if you guys had any thoughts on that new driver that uh, Cobra just finished for him. Apparently, it's a much thicker face, and it's weighted like customly at the toe because I guess that's where his misses are. So I'm excited to see that. He made a video on it like saying it's been three years in the making just for this driver. And I, I just trust him. Like, There's something about Bryson that I trust. I know he's like a you know an a, actual like genius a physicist from where we where do you go stanford or i should know where he went to school i don't know but super smart dude whatever um but i don't know like something about new technology coming out and him just being very excited for it and that video it kind of gave me like Dash press deck prescott vibes with the weird you know thrust thing he was doing before the game like it's just a weird video to watch for me but like personally i don't think i like bryson he's kind of just a weird weird dude but I think uh, I'm with Joel. If you're playing him, like you're playing Bryson to to win because I think this guy has the highest ceiling in the field by far. But I think my ownership is going to go mainly to Justin Thomas, and I know that's kind of the the chalkier of everybody in this range. And then Dustin Johnson. I'll go back to Dustin Johnson all day, especially he's going to be around that 10 to 15% own range where everybody else can be like 20. And I'm not a father, so maybe see or, or Joel, if you're a father, like, I don't know, like, is John Rahm going to be tired? Like, I feel like babies cry all the time. At least, you know, like, that's what anybody, I don't even my buddies, I had a kid, like, yeah, that baby just cries all the time. So, like, so I'll step I don't know in about Rahm. I'll step in here. So, I think it's funny because he just had a baby, like, four or five days ago. So, he's still sort of, even if he's really tired, he's still sort of in that euphoric phase. Well, I, I'm assuming. He's still in that euphoric phase where the adrenaline of having a baby is probably going to carry him through the Masters. And I know, like, I'm kind of breaking this down in a ridiculous way, but... I think he's going to be exhausted. I just wonder if, if that exhaustion is actually going to impact him at the Masters. And no. that's that's what, that, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's no metric for this. So so I don't love the fact that he just had a baby. I know that sounds like ridiculous to say in this context, but I prefer he not have that distraction. But I don't, I think it, it could go either way. It could be a bonus or it could be a hindrance. So I disagree. John Rahm is a multimillionaire. He does not stay up late with the baby. He has people <laughs> who he can pay that will stay up with the baby. He sleeps as much as he needs to sleep. And especially the week of the Masters, he's sleeping as much as he needs. Now, the adrenaline and, like, the excitement of having a newborn, like, that, obviously, you're a new father. Like, you can't change it. So, like, that I can I can get behind. But there's no way he's waking up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. He's too rich. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, but, you know, you, you, depending on who your significant other is, maybe they want you to participate in that first week. Maybe they're ailing. Maybe, you know, there's there's a lot of different things. But you're right. He, he certainly has help. But that doesn't mean he's not hearing the baby's cry or the baby cry, you know, at three or four or five or all in the morning. So, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, I'm not super big on Rom, even though his history is great. Nick, go ahead. Yeah, for uh, for whatever it's worth, uh, Rory did say his first round of being a father, he shot a sixty four. So if that shoots the uh, the the fresh father thing straight to hell, then then maybe I guess we go back to round. Well, so I'm I'm glad you said that because he <laughs> did, and then he's sort of been terrible ever since. So I mean that that's why I emphasize the fact that like that's sort of that euphoric that that adrenaline inducing first week or two. You're like per- 
potentially on cloud nine. But then once all those family matters settle in, I mean, I, I, I know people don't want to talk about it, but I think that's part of the reason Rory has been kind of non-Rory-like. I mean, he's been more Rory Sabatini than he's been Rory McIlroy, and it's because I don't know that he can really 100% focus on the golf right now. It's just speculation, but usually when the family comes in, like things sort of get thrown off from where, from where you were before. I won't belabor the point there. I do want to ask you both about Xander Shoffley. Uh, other than the fact that his name is impossible to spell, which, which is just annoying to me, and that's why I don't roster him sometimes, uh, any of you going to roster him at all? I'm I'm absolutely in on Xander Shoffley. Absolutely. I like Xander. Don't love him. I, I definitely won't be fading him this week. Uh, I like him more than some of the other guys in his similar range. Uh, but I prefer the the DeChambeau's, Roms, and DJs if we're if we're gonna stay in this top ish tier. Yeah, I like Xander. He's probably my third place guy right now behind yeah. DJ and Bryson. Um, I, I like that you're getting an ownership discount. I mean, Rory, him and Roy are going to be the lowest owned guys in this range. Uh, and you're also getting the actual discount because he's 10,000. I, I don't, I, I just kind of like Xander because he's sort of been sleepwalking through this year. And I think he has the potential to pop here. He certainly has the game to pop here. So um, let's move to that 9K range. Nick, I'm going to start with you. We've got Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, <laughs> man. Uh, he's been good. Uh, Patrick Reed, Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau, and Webb Simpson. How about a few guys here that you're going to be focused on? Yeah, I mean, Jordan Spieth is approaching like 30 plus percent ownership. And I like, he blew up my model too. I think he actually comes up as the number two overall, right behind Jordan or uh, Justin Thomas. I'm sorry. But what are you guys doing with Jordan Spieth? And then I'll actually answer this question. Then I actually have another question for you guys. But So I'll start. Um, and then, Joel, you can go after me. I, I am more of a fade than a play on Jordan Spieth. And it's not just, I mean, it's not just because he's super chalky. You can play chalk and, and be great in the Masters, but in terms of, from a DFS standpoint, we learned that with DJ last year. But I like I like pivots from him. I mean, I, even though Cantlay isn't a, a true pivot because he's going to be popular too, but Colin Morikawa is there too. And I just, I, I just don't believe that Jordan is going to be playing this well, this consistently for what it's going to be seven weeks in a row. I, I just, I think he's fine. I think he's a good play. I wouldn't not recommend him, but for me and a lot of my single entry in three max, it's just going to be really beautiful if he ends up finishing, you know, like 25th. And I'm here. I am with Colin Morikawa, who is less than half of his ownership and he's, you know, top five in it. So that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm counting on, but I will have Jordan in a few lineups. Joel. I like Jordan. I'm in, I've bought yeah. in, I've come around. I think, you know, he's, he has like he's one of those guys that was once in this top tier with DJ and all those guys and has fallen off. And I think that that seven week kind of span that you're referencing is him finding that again. I, I don't think yeah. it's a, a blip in the pan. I think he's getting back to being one of the best golfers in golf. And I think a top five finish this week kind of helps solidify that. The rest of the can I can I second that? Because that's what Jordan said in his uh, his latest interview. He said he's not like he's still not there. Like, yeah, he's been amazing seven weeks in a row, but he still was not is not the player he was years ago. If he finds that level, like I think he's a guy like he he was a top five machine everywhere. I think this is a golfer with a lot more to prove. And I think this is a course, you know, besides that one holy win, the drink, whatever it was, 13 times it felt like. But I love him. Like that was my, I'm glad to hear Joel on him. Cause I feel like all of us, I mean, typically are against the grain. Like we don't like to play chalk and I hate that my number one and number two golfer is Jordan Thomas or Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. But I don't see how people can avoid Jordan Spieth, especially when he's priced at 94 K. So the recent win isn't up there. Like he should be 10, five minimum in my opinion, yeah. if he's this good. So 
sure the the regression i don't i don't i think positive regression is coming i think he's just finding his game a little bit but what you were talking about see is colin morikawa so when you asked me about course history earlier sure colin morikawa has a little bit of course history but spencer and i just talked about this on the better golf podcast is um here are the guys that played the tournament for the first time in november this is colin morikawa sunjay m scotty scheffler abraham onser uh bezayden hoot sebastian munoz and matt wolf so I'm sure there's a couple other guys, but no one that's like relevant to talk to on a, on a DFS or a betting segment here. But those guys played the course when it was significantly softer. Everybody right now that's out there saying these greens are very, very fast. And it's actually like true Augusta. DJ broke the course record there or the, the tournament record of 20 under. That's not going to happen. I doubt it gets over 10. So that's my concern with Morikawa. I think if 10% of the field is going to play him, I think these fast greens and the, especially how fast the ball can run off with chipping. And, you know, if you don't have great touch around the green, I don't think Morikawa does. He's just a great, great, great iron player. And he's one of the worst and then can be one of the best putters in golf, apparently over the last couple of weeks. So I think the, the quick greens and Augusta being Augusta absolutely tears him up. And I think 10% of the field being on Morikawa is 10% of the field that's going to be eliminated. Yeah, I'm willing to take the chance on it because I, I don't think we've realized the potential. Now, am I going to have a ton of shares of him? Probably not. I'll probably defer to a more chalky Patrick Cantlay than, than I will a Colin Morikawa. And I will say, you know, I did mention single entry or three max. I mean, you can eat the chalk in those tournaments. So, so I mean, I, I personally won't have a lot of Jordan Spieth because I kind of never do. And maybe I'm just being stubborn and I'm, I'm not fully bought in. But if you're in a cash game or if you're in a smaller size tournament, go ahead and roster Jordan Spieth. Go ahead and roster the chalk in the 10K range, whatever that might be. Justin Thomas, John Rahm, what have you. But, you know, you do want to get different somewhere, obviously. But if you think Jordan Spieth is locked in like 99% of the population does, I mean, I'm not going to argue against you there. Um, but, Nick, in the 9K range, other than Jordan Spieth, any, anybody else you're leaning on? I had a little bit of love for Cantlay, but he's he showed up pretty low in my model, like around 16th, which to him is, is pretty low. I think in terms of Vegas, he's priced as like, you know, the seventh favorite in the market. So if I'm like 10 spots down on a guy, I usually just fade them in general and trust my numbers. So I think it's just Jordan Spieth for me. I'm not going to play Kepka. Reed, sure, in like 150 max, I'll play a little bit of Reed because course history here. And if that guy gets a hot putter, just it, it's over anywhere. But I think Morikawa, Cantlay, and Kepka and Finau, and Webb Simpson are all going to be fades for me because I'd rather go down the Tyrrell Hatton at 8,900. Oh, I thought I was the only one that was going to say his name. No, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I have an 80 to 1 ticket on him from like this time last year or oh, right, wow. whenever, right before COVID. So, Joel, before we get to that 8K range, uh, give me a few 9K guys that you're, you're in love with. It sounds like Jordan Spieth is one of them. Totally fair. Who else? For sure, I have a bit of a theme in this range. So my, the three guys in this range I like are, are going to be Spieth, Reed, and Simpson. Uh, and the reason for them, I think what the theme is, is what we're all seeing is correct that this is going to be playing super fast, super difficult. These are guys that are proven to be really good around the green. They should be able to handle and navigate that. They all have a course history that is strong, that they've played here before. They should do well. So these are guys I just feel comfortable with. And I, I'm kind of – I'm with Nick – on the standpoint of I'm just, I just don't trust guys like Morikawa here where I think they're going to, you know, he, he's probably going to still be one of the best iron players, but I think he's going to run into trouble. If these greens are playing so difficult where he's going to have some three putts and, and put some, you know, make some mistakes in the short game. So I want to kind of stick to, to the, the reads and the, and the speeds who we know excel in that area. 
Yeah, and and you're right with respect to the greens and Morikawa. Like you, you, the you know, I don't know if the three putt avoidance stat will speak to you know how bad Morikawa is because I haven't looked at it as it pertains to Morikawa, but he's going to get himself into trouble on those greens unless he's really dialed in on approach. So, I mean, it's a fair argument. I mean, for me, it's kind of a leverage play. I mean, it's like the one time you're going to get Colin Morikawa at, you know, half the ownership as the guys around him. So that that's why it sticks out to me. I know he has the potential to do it, but your arguments are completely fair. Uh, by the way, I like Patrick Reed and Webb Simpson a lot too. In fact, the, the lineup where I came in second last year in the long drive at the Masters, um, my lineup had Patrick Reed in it with DJ, with Matt Wallace, I'm trying to remember Cam Smith was in that and, and a couple other guys, Corey Connors and somebody else. But um, I think Webb Simpson's really sneaky, especially if this is playing firm and fast. You know, he might not need, you know, he's a shorter hitter, but he might not need to be that long. And we know shorter hitters can win. And by the way, Webb Simpson's history here, I think last year he was 10th. And the year before that, when it played probably more true than it's going, you know, play this week, he was fifth. And before that, 20th, then a miscut, then 29th. So you're talking about three top 20s in his last three goes here. I mean, he's obviously comfortable here. And he's really kind of a forgotten man because he hasn't done anything lately. His last two tournaments, 28th and a miscut. Now, I know you want to be in good form coming into the Masters. But this is Webb Simpson we're talking about. It's not like we're talking about Lanto Griffin, who's who's a good golfer, but if he wasn't coming in good form, like nobody would consider him. This is Webb Simpson. This is right out of the mold of like a of a Paul Casey or or even a Patrick Reed. He's just very comfortable, especially in potentially difficult conditions, and he's dialed in with the putter uh, quite often. So I think I think he's very sneaky. And if you're buying into the fact that you know th- uh, this is one of the toughest golf courses in the world. You know, one thing that I'm that I really like is you've seen some guys that have won, like even DJ, right? DJ early on his career struggled here, and then he figured it out, and then it was just like he got closer, closer, and closer, and won. And that's kind of what you're starting to see with Simpson, right? He struggled here early in his career, and now he's starting to look like he's figured it out, right? With the last three years, 25th and 10th, he's now looked like he's dialed in at Augusta. So this could be a spot where no one's looking at him. His ownership shouldn't be crazy. Uh, I, I like Web Simpson a lot. Yeah, and you're getting you're getting a good price on him. So let's get to that 8K range, Nick. I'll start with you. Uh, you mentioned Terrell Hatton. You know, I was on the first cut yesterday, and I said specifically, I said some 8K guys I liked, and I said, by the way, after I was done with the, the guys I mentioned, and I hadn't met Terrell, I hadn't mentioned Terrell Hatton yet. I said, by the way, if you want to go out and win a GPP, take the guy that's going to be the lowest owned in this range, who has been terrible, which is why he's low owned, but has the upside to actually take down a tournament. And that guy's name is Terrell Hatton. So uh, it's it's just such a perfect leverage play because of the upside. Now, he can absolutely crash and burn your lineup. He hasn't been that good lately. But Nick, I'm assuming those are, I'm making an argument that you're also going to make, but I don't know if, if there's any other thing you want to support Terrell Hatton with. No, I, well, I think just pedigree in general. This guy has won really big tournaments overseas, and I think usually that plays very well over at the Masters, especially when you look at, you know, Danny Willett. When he won, he was playing very good in Europe that year. Um, hadn't yet. He's been bad, I guess, the last 30 days, but before that he was killing it in Europe, and I, I just think it's a golfer I've always been interested in. He's kind of a, a hothead, which I think is it's funny to watch him play when he kind of melts down a little bit, but it's just like, you know, a quick five-minute, pissed off session then he's back to to playing golf again but yeah i like victor hovland and daniel berger seem to be drawing the most ownership in this group and obviously cameron smith who it's hard to not want to play cam smith with how on fire his game is right now but uh, for me it's definitely going to be had and he's my favorite here I, I know like especially if i'm starting off most of my lineups you know gun ahead with justin thomas or 
Bryson DeChambeau and then Jordan Spieth, like that's insanely, insanely chalky. So I got to get off somebody and get different somebody. So I think um, like a three to 5% own Tyrell Haddon is something I'm very interested in with the pedigree he's got. And then I haven't decided on Sunjay M. Like I was talking about, like he's only played the course in November and, you know, he's, he's not necessarily a good putter. So I don't know if I like him at all, but I'm going to be in on Cam Smith absolutely at 8,200. I'll play that. Hideki, I always have some Hideki, but I wish he was like 5% on this week. And then Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood checks every single box for me besides, I guess, recent form. But he is really good around the green, really good approach player. He knows this course. And I think, you know, especially if it's going to be windy all week long like it's supposed to be, this is a guy he and Hatton play very well in the wind. I think Fleetwood should be in a really good spot here for really low ownership. Yeah, I totally agree on Fleetwood. I think that's a super, super sneaky play. I won't have a ton of shares of him, but I'm definitely going to play him. Um, Joel, before I get to you, I, I do want to just, for the sake of full disclosure on Hatton, part of the reason he is so loaned, it's not just the recent form on the PGA Tour, but his history here is like pretty much garbage. It's a couple missed cuts and you know a couple like 40th, 50th finishes. So again, that's... but. That's how you win GPPs. You know what I mean? Like you take the guy that everybody looks at, like the stroke gain metrics or the or the course history, and they're like, oh, "Okay, I'm definitely off him." But it's like, wait a minute. Like Terrell Hatton actually is a good player. I think in the world golf rankings, he's still somewhere like near the top ten. I haven't looked lately, but he's he's a monster when he's on. Um, Joel, I, b- before I get to you, did you mention did you mention uh, Nick that you were going to be on Matthew Fitzpatrick? Because that's a guy I'm starting to really like. No, I will not. I don't touch that guy. I never play him. It I, When I do play him, it's not the right week. And then when I don't, he goes off. But if he's going to be, I saw ownership projections that have him at like 15. I've seen him that has it up to 20. I'm just going to be a pass on that for sure. I'm not, I can't play all this chalk, but even if I think I do, if I do 150, let me, like, I don't think I'll have any Fitzpatrick. I have him ranked. I have him ranked 18th overall in Vegas odds. He's 18th. So I'm like right at market value. So I guess maybe I'll have a little bit. But I don't know. He didn't move the needle for me much. and But I'll, I'm willing to be talked into that. So, Joel, I'm going to ask you about Matthew Fitzpatrick first, whether you like him or not in that 8K range. Um, and, and, you know, if he's 14 15%, that's still less than a lot of the guys in this range. But it is a little chalky, admittedly. Um, but touch on Matthew Fitzpatrick, whether you like him or not, and then just tell me a few guys in the 8K range that you might like. Yeah, I, I like him. I like him a lot, actually. I think his recent form and his ability, like, I know we've said this about him before. His ability to excel on difficult conditions um, is what is really attractive to me about him this week. So, you know, at 8,100, we need to find some guys in this range. Like, I would prefer Fitzpatrick to Sergio. You know, those are the types of, like, kind of comparisons we have to we have to make. The biggest issue with him is the fact that he's pretty chalky. And, you know, the way I'm looking at the chalk, there's going to be a lot of guys that are that are, you know, the field is small this week. It's exactly. just not as many guys. So there's going to be a, a higher ownership on a lot of guys. And you can't just start fading every guy because they're talking, I mean, if everyone who's preparing for this tournament likes them and we're fading all the guys everyone likes, right? That's, that's that, that relationship's not going to work. So my thought is I'm not really fading any chalky guys. I'm just thinking however many chalky guys I play, I got to counter that with someone who's a little bit more off the radar. So I can average out the, the, the ownership percentage. Yeah, and before you get to the rest of the 8K, 8K guys you like, I mean, just for some context, like Paul Casey's going to be really chalky. He's going to be in that Jordan Spieth range above 25%. So, I mean, you could say, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you guys agree with this logic here, but you could say that a pivot off Paul Casey is, is the guy we're talking about because he's kind of technically half the ownership. And Sergio is another guy that has double-digit ownership but is also potentially a pivot off of a guy like, 
you know, Paul Casey. So, I, I mean, I think Matthew Fitzpatrick and Sergio sort of fit in that middle of the road, not super chalky, but, you know, will, will be owned. I mean, not many people are going to be in that Terrell Hatton range or even the Webb Simpson range, which is only a couple percentage points below the guys we're talking about right now. So um, other 8K guys you like, Joel. And the last thing about that also is all of the percentages are going to be a little higher this week than normal. So, like, when you see somebody that's 20% and you get, like, scared off, just know that, to a normal week, that's really like 15 because of just a smaller pool and there's just right. going to be a little bit different numbers this week. So um, in this range, I think someone we haven't mentioned yet that I really like is Daniel Berger. Uh, Berger has been playing well. There's a little bit of concern about that rib injury where he kind of like pulled out of a tournament. But, um, you know, I haven't heard anything said in a couple weeks. Uh, and I just think we're getting a better golfer than the price here, right? At 8,500, he could easily be another thousand dollars more. So if you want to, if you want to play someone like DJ or someone like Rom, uh, and then you can go with Daniel Berger as your number two. I think you can really build some interesting lineups. I also like Scotty Scheffler. You know, I'm, I'm a Scotty Scheffler truther. I'm always going back to him. My one concern with Scotty is, you know, the amount of golf he's played over the last three weeks is kind of comical because of the match play tournament. He's played so many rounds. And then he came back again and played at Valero. So he's just played a lot of golf. But listen, I mean, he's in his 20s. I, I think he's a, literally a professional golfer. So um, I think guys get adrenaline. They get up for the match. I think he'll be he'll be over that. And his ownership actually, all things considered, looks really good, right? I think we're getting a guy who's really in good form, um, who is capable of being top five in this tournament at less than 10% owned. So uh, I think those will be my, 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 my targets in this range. I'm glad you brought up Scotty Scheffler because I'm not usually a Scotty Scheffler guy, but considering his upside and his ownership, and part of the, you know, part of the reason his ownership is so low is because of that potential fatigue factor, which, by the way, is why I fully faded him last week at the Valero Texas Open. But let's not forget, it was just four rounds last week. It wasn't the seven that he had at match play two weeks ago. So the further you get removed from those seven rounds, the more comfortable you are that this guy in his mid-20s is going to be fine. So I actually think the fatigue thing is kind of garbage it wasn't last week, but I think it's kind of garbage now. I mean, by the way, he's from Texas. Those two tournaments, he was sl- probably sleeping in his own bed or, or quite nearby. So I don't think it was as taxing on him. I think it was at Valero in rounds two, three, and four. And I think we saw evidence of that. But I don't think his body is going to have a problem adjusting. And I, again, I'm not normally a Scotty guy, but does he have upside? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a very fair price and a very fair ownership that we have on Scotty Scheffler. So I'm, I'm on board there. 7K range. Um, Joel, let's kick it back to you real quick. Um, it's a, you know, again, it's a smaller field. So the 7K range isn't as rich with players as we normally have. I'm not going to read them off. But, you know, at the top, we're sitting on Sergio Garcia. We kind of touched on him. Amazing ball striker. I mean, he's he's been pretty good with the putter. I mean, in match play, just to get to that, when he was in that tiebreaker with Lee Westwood, I don't know if you remember in match play, before he hit the hole-in-one to close it out, he had to hit like, two 10-footers in a row. Now, now Sergio Garcia had to fit, two, like, not, not, and that was 10-footers after Lee Westwood had already kind of gone in. Like, he like he had to make it to survive. And he hit both of them. I mean, honestly, he kind of, like, walked him in. It was pretty impressive. Now, I don't think that's the Sergio we're going to see, but Sergio's won here before. And the putter looks to be at least decent or, you know, maybe just slightly below average instead of horrific. And the ball striking is amazing. I mean, I already have an outright on this guy. Touch on Sergio for me and then just kind of go down the 7K guys in terms of maybe who you might like. There's a few guys in here that I really, really like that I already have outright tickets on. So Sergio is an interesting one for me. I can certainly understand liking him this week and winning the play. I am not going to be too high on Sergio this week. The reason for that is I would have liked Sergio in his current form in the November version, right? Where the screens were slowed down, they were wet. 
if we're going to see these, like, the fastest greens anyone's ever seen conditions this week, I just can't see. Like, he's going to have a couple blow-up holes, and it's just – I don't yeah. see him being able to to win doing that. Now, he still might be – him and Morikawa still might be the best iron players in the week, but you got to make putts to compete in this tournament, and I just, I just don't see him doing that this week. So I'm kind of out on Sergio. Um I'm going to eat a bit of the chalk with Casey this week. I think he's just playing so well in this price range. I think you're going to get a lot. I, we can get a lot of leverage on him. And I really like Jason Day and Louis Uswazen. Uh Jason Day is a guy who has a great course history here. He loves playing the Masters. His recent form is, is pretty good. I mean, in his last four, we've got uh, 7th, 18th, 31st, and 35th. Um, and you know he's he's – you know, saving himself or preparing. He puts it all out there for the master. This means a lot more to him. He's a veteran guy. He's going to be used to the course. He's going to know the nuances. So he feels like one of those more safer plays and like taking a shot on one of the young guys who probably are better golfers than him, but might struggle more at at this course. Same with Louis. I mean, similar concept with Louis. Louis just seems to rise to the occasion. And this is certainly the occasion. Um, He's his recent form is, is good for him. I mean, Last at the players, he was tied for 44th, 41st. Before that, he was tied for sixth, tied for 11th, tied for 29th. So his recent form is definitely there. You know, he likes uh, this course. Uh, I think this could be a week where where he he shows out. Yeah, I like that. Um, Nick, 7K range. Who are you thinking? I think this is my favorite range of the whole tournament. So I'm not like in or out on Sergio. I think he's more of a cash play. Uh, but Paul Casey, yeah, I'm with Joel. It's just another chalk guy that I. Like, well, how was he priced at 7,700? It just makes no sense. He's seventh overall in my model for expected output. He should be priced at like 9,500. And I think I'd still want to play him a lot. I know ownership would go down, you know, maybe 70% if that were the case. But sometimes you got to take the free square. You know, like if it's a backup running back that's about to get 20 touches because Zeke Elliott just went down, you got to play that in the NFL. You play Paul Casey at this price, in my opinion. If I, uh, if I may, um, pa- yeah, please. Pa- Pollard's a better running back than Zeke. <laughs> yeah, well, we I don't talk about that. I know August. that's hot take-ish, but, I mean, I, I think the backup is actually kind of the starter, in my opinion. But anyway, hey, Nick, carry on. Fantasy points per game, Pollard was better. So you got a point there. But I am all in on Louie. I think that's my favorite golfer. In, um, I guess, the the world golf rankings, I absolutely just love watching his swing. It is pure butter. And then there's going to be a couple other guys in the low seven range that I like. Abraham Answer, I, I never played this guy, and I'm kind of scared to play him because, again, he goes to this, has he actually played Augusta one time before? Like, it was just in November. He did very well, and he's just a magician around the green, a really good iron player as well, a good putter. He's gaining strokes in all the metrics that I care about. So I'm going to play him as long as he's under like 10% owned. It looks like that's where he will be. And then two other guys I love, and they're going to be the guys that kind of balance out the the chalk that I seem to be on in the in the higher range is Justin Rose. I know the back pain or whatever. We haven't seen him since the uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational. He's supposed to play at the players, then he backed out there. Obviously didn't play the World Golf Championship because it's probably a week away from the Masters, but – I trust it that, like, I don't think he's a cash play, but I don't know. This guy has just incredible, incredible course history. And before he was hurt at, at the API, he was playing so well there, and I was all on him that weekend at, like, 5% ownership. I think you were too, Sia, that he just walked off the course after taking a 10, and all my lines <laughs> just went to shit. So that sucked, but I trust that he's okay. I have no information or inside information that says he is. If he's going to play, I'm just going to trust it and hope it doesn't kill me. But if he's like two to five percent owned, like I'm seeing right now, this guy has top ten upside and at 7,200, I don't think you can get that many other places. 
And then my punt of the tournament, who I don't think is actually a punt, he's 29th in the official World Golf Rankings. Guy is finding his form, and I love, love, love his putting from 6 to 10 feet, which I think is what what uh, when Joel talked earlier about three putts on this course, like that can kill you. This guy is, I don't think, like if he gets one three putt this week, I'd be shocked, and that's Victor Perez. I think this is a, a statement week for Victor Perez that people around the golf, you know, maybe the United States golf world are going to know this guy's name after this week. I'm all about Victor Perez at 7K. And um, he's also one of the guys I was talking about for the uh, top 40 and top 20. On the on points bet right now, you can get him top 40 at plus 130. And the top 20 finishes four to one on points bet as well. Those are the best prices in the uh, Illinois market, at least with DraftKings and FanDuel and William Hill, BetMGM, whatever you have out there. But yeah, I am uh, Victor Perez going to be my guy this week. So I'm so glad you said Victor Perez because in my initial picks article, um, which I put out, I think Sunday night actually, it was kind of an early because we had the we had the pricing out pretty early. Uh, he was one he was one of the guys in my write up. You know, I only pick uh, like ten to twelve guys usually, and Victor Perez was definitely one of my guys, and I I love the form that that we've seen. I mean, we we haven't seen a lot of it on the PGA Tour, but. He looks to be locked in, so I, mean, I don't have a problem with that at all. But, but yeah, let's hit this question real quick. So, um, Joel, let's start with you. Cash question, smaller field and fewer cuts this week, um, or fewer players cut this week. Do you need to factor in more upside than usual for double-ups, cash games, and such? You know, the concept for cash games is to, like, not try and just think pure upside because you just want to make sure you have a high floor, right? I think if you don't miss on anyone in a cash game, you should be good. Um there's because there's so many good chalky players, it's hard to think that in a cash tournament, everyone can be on all of them. It'll be mixed up. So as long as you don't miss on anyone, that's what's important in cash. So it's not I wouldn't I still wouldn't think of it as upside. I just think of it as floor. Just don't miss. If you hit six guys that don't miss, you should do well in cash. Yeah, Nick, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm exactly with uh, with Joel there. I think like you could take, especially this week with pricing so lax, if you will, like it's pretty easy to build a lineup. I think you take guys with high ceilings and high floors. Like here's just a lineup I made, like as Joel was talking there for what I consider to be a cash build would be Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Cam Smith, Paul Casey, uh, Corey Connors at 6,900. We'll get him in a minute, but that's just a stupid price for a guy that's, you know, should walk backwards into making this cut. And then you get weird with one guy. Like, that's all pretty chalky there. If you go play a guy like uh, Vic Perez at, at 7K, I think you got 200 left over there. But I think he's an easy top 40 finish here. So I think those are six guys that make the cut and plenty of winning equity there as well to get you uh, some upside with uh, – to kind of give you that GPP mindset that it seems this, that sparked this question. But like Joel said, just don't make mistakes, and I think you'll be fine. So um, before we get to the, and I agree with both of those, before we get to the 6K range, I do want to touch on a couple guys. I think of all the chalky guys that we've discussed, I think where I'm taking my stand on a fade, it's not Jordan Spieth, because I'll, I'll play him enough where it's definitely not a fade, even though I, I'll be underweight. I think the stand I'm taking is Paul Casey. And, and, and the reason is because, you know, we talked about the, the pivots from Jordan Spieth. And my pivots were like Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cam. Like, I got to admit, I'm not in love with those pivots, especially after talking to you two. However, I love the pivots off Paul Casey. I mean, I talked about Sergio. Now, Joel, I understand the point you made on Sergio, but okay, that's fine. I can go up to Matthew Fitzpatrick. It's only $400 more. I think Matthew Fitzpatrick and Paul Casey are, I don't want to say, you know, six and one half dozen of the other. I mean, Paul Casey's probably playing a little bit better. But 
I think the pivots are there. And honestly, you might have just convinced me on Jason Day. He wasn't on my radar, but, you know, the history is there. He, he does, you know, play for the Masters and, and he, his recent form isn't bad. So I think there are plenty of pivots off of that particular chalk. And if I'm ever going to pivot off chalk, it's going, I know it's the Masters, so it's different, but it's going to be in that 7K range. I can't tell you how many, how many times a guy has been 7,700, like where Sam Burns is in like the average player field, you know, where everybody's like, oh, it's Sam Burns week. And the guy's like, you know. 10 over so again this is different but i'm just saying paul casey is going to make the cut i'm not saying that but i just think when you get to that 7k range no matter the tournament if a guy is 26 27 it means we're too in love with him it doesn't mean you shouldn't be in love with him it means everybody is too in love with him and, and to me i'm happy even in a cash game to pivot off him to a guy like Matthew Fitzpatrick, who I think is a very very good golfer or sergio garcia who is admittedly a little bit more risky how how do you fade Paul Casey though? Like you mentioned, Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick's losing strokes on approach over the last six months and the last thirty days. Paul Casey's almost gaining two strokes on the field approach, uh, both last thirty days and both six months, and gains over a stroke putting. Like I get the Sam Burns comparison, but like Paul Casey's just clearly clearly mispriced here. He I, is. Cl- um, he I is hope it, I hope he's not the chalk that kills me because then I just go right back to this podcast and be like, see, it told us, but. I don't know if there will if I make a hand build lineup, I don't know if there's any lineup output that doesn't have Paul Casey in it. Well let I me ask think, you. I do think Cied does have a slight bias against Paul Casey because I know in a previous tournament he has texted me and has been like, I can't believe I played Casey. I never <laughs> That's, played true. It. <laughs> it's true. That's absolutely right. Last week, who was it? Um, I played uh, I played Lanto instead of Siwoo, and I was so mad at myself because it looked like Lanto was going to miss the cut last week. He, he fortunately made it, but I was so mad at myself because I, I was on Siwoo all week. But uh, here's another guy you can pivot to. Neither of you mentioned this guy. And by the way, if we're going to look at strokes game metrics, this guy is particularly off the tee. It's been amazing. I mean, this guy, this is a top five guy since January 1 off the tee, I believe. And his approach game is there. I mean, ball striking in general, this guy is there and he's flashed before i think you kind of know who i'm talking about anybody want to guess who i'm talking about joaquin neiman it's joaquin neiman i like max home a little bit too but joaquin neiman i don't want to say he's mispriced because he's not but this guy has upside to be in that sort of 9k range in terms of finishing position i'm wondering do any of you have any of you guys taken a long look at him because that's another potential pivot off paul casey certainly a more risky pivot not a cash game pivot but maybe a gpp pivot what do you think let's start with um nick so Joaquin Neiman graded out very, very well for me until I put course history in there. Because, again, he's only played it one time and he didn't play it well in November. So I'm kind of excited to to get him a little bit. Like, gambling-wise, I don't think he's worth any. Like, I, I don't know if there's one ticket in any market, top 20, top 30, anything like that, or matchups that I would want to play him in. But when he's priced this low in DFS, I think that's maybe where my exposure is going to be is, is Joaquin Neiman and GPPs, I think. I don't think he's going to be a cash play for me. But, yeah, that, that's just my one concern is is the course history here and him not doing well in November, but it's a whole different course. But he is just elite with his irons. He's really good around the green, and he's a good putter. Like, he's, he's a really good young putter. So I think, yeah, I'm with you on that. I just couldn't find, like, when we were doing the Better Golf Show, there was just nothing on Neiman that I liked, so he was like a fade for me in that segment. But I think that's the good thing about legalized sports gaming and DFS together is, like, if you do do this stuff rather seriously, you can kind of hedge yourself out in different markets like that. So I like him a lot. I think it's a really good call there. 
So, Joel, uh, real quick, I want to get your response. But but just to be clear, you're right. His course history is bad. But I believe that course history was back in 2018. So it was a miscut. Yeah, so I don't think I don't think he actually played last year. But so, I mean, you could, you could take that for what it's worth. I mean, he, he has some history here, but obviously it's not good. But at the same time, I mean, this is a young kid. In 2018, this guy was like, you know, barely pro. So obviously his pedigree is a little bit different now than it was then. But you're right. The course history really isn't there. Joel, any thoughts on Joaquin Neiman? You're rostering him at all. So Joaquin Neiman for me falls in that same vein as some of those guys like Morikawa and Sergio, who's he's he's above average. He's way better than the field, I think. Striking the ball, he's, I can see why you want to play him. I actually like him more than those guys because I think there's other pivots to Morikawa and Sergio that I would prefer. That in this range, uh, I actually prefer Neiman to someone like Will Zalatoris or something like that. So. Um, I'll probably play him a little bit more. I don't love him, but I'll probably have a little bit of exposure to him. All right. Yeah, I like it. Um, I have an outright ticket on him at like 66 to 1, I think. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I probably should have just done a top 20, which I'll probably end up doing. I think that's one of the top 20 bets I have. But uh, let's go into that 6K range. Now, it's funny. We had a comment earlier from from S Guy who, thank you for watching, this huge fan of the show. He's here literally every week. And he, you know, Lucas Glover isn't in this tournament, but he's he's putting Lucas Glover down because last week when it was just me and Sticks, not only did we mention Lucas Glover, and, and I think, honestly, I think it was Nick that led with Lucas, and I was like, oh man, I, I like him too. But Nick also talked about Brandon Hagee, and, and we were in that like bottom end range, and those two guys like really showed up. So I'm curious now that we're in this 6K range, Nick, I'll start with you. I mean, obviously we talked about Corey Connors. I don't think that needs much discussion. We know he's mispriced. We know he's a great ball striker. We know he's probably playing over his head a little bit with the short game, but you know, that's okay. He's 6,900. Hopefully there's not too much regression there. Um, I'm definitely going to be playing him in both GPP and cash formats. But other than him, and you can touch on him if you want, Nick, but other than Connors, who are some other 6K guys that you are, are willing to invest in, in, in maybe cash and GPP? Definitely. I'm, I'm very interested in Jason Cockrack. I think it's been a, a really strong year for him, and he's kind of just been like a walking top 10 in every machine that he's, or every tournament that he's been in. Brian Harmon at 6,800. Everybody talks about how this is a lefty's course, especially if you can hit a cut shot and keep that ball in the air pretty long. He's going to be, I think he's mispriced, but, you know, maybe the length of this course gives him some issues. I would love to say I'm back on Gary Woodland, but I think that was just a Valero open thing for me. I don't think in this field he's quite where he needs to be with his game like we saw a couple years ago. Um, and then I'm I'm going to be a hard fade on Munoz. I, I just don't think the course with it being very fast and firm is going to help him out, but one of the guys I like a ton at this range is Ryan Palmer at 6,500. He's going to be, you know, probably the most popular guy in this range. Uh, you know, maybe in comparison to, I guess, Siwoo Kim's up there as well. And then the last guy that I like is Dylan Fratelli. He played so well here in November, but he's just like, I, again, I don't want to say this November thing all the time, but he's a really good iron player. He's good around the green. I trust his putting. I, I think this is the guy that should be priced maybe 69, 7K right there, but think that's that's pretty much it for me i don't see myself building a ton of lineups going much lower than 6900 honestly and it stops at Corey connors and, and jason cockrick but if i had to i do like Harmon a ton for telly and well palmer palmer would be a key part of a lot of my lineups so joel before i get to you you've been hyping jason cockrick for quite some time and honestly in this entire industry and you know i listen to all the stuff before we do our show because i want to hear what everybody else is saying because for, for a variety of reasons you 
were first to market on Jason Cockrack in, in terms of mentioning him on podcasts on a very routine basis. So congratulations to you there, because I actually think he's a good play, like Nick said, this week as well. Are you back on him? Are you back on Corey Connors? And who else are you back on? Yeah, so it feels, I think that the, the good and the bad of this range is there are some plays that feel like really solid plays in this range. I'm like, yeah, this is where we're getting value. The problem is everyone else can see that too, and everyone's playing the same value, guys, so it's a, kind of chalky. Uh, Cockrack's one of them, right? He's he's going to be, I think, like 13% owned in, in the 6K range, which is kind of unprecedented for the 6K range because typically guys this low would never get above 10%. So that just kind of shows the small field, the kind of weirdness of this tournament. But, yeah, I mean, he does still have – even to this week, top. I like him for a top 15. Um, and at this price, I mean, this is how you're going to be able to get, you know, your ROMs, your JTs, and things like that into one lineup. So for sure on him this week um, – I'm on a lot of guys. I really love Harmon this week, but a couple of the guys down here that I want to mention that just haven't been brought up yet. Uh, I want to start with Matt Kuchar. So, you know, Matt Kuchar is one of those guys that we've kind of just fell off of for a while because he was just hasn't been very good. But I think don't sleep on the fact that the the match play tournament doesn't really show up in the recent results because it's not like a strokes tournament, but he was great. I mean, he was unbelievable in that tournament. Then he came back at the Valero and got 12th. I mean, he's in good form. And this is a guy that has excelled at the Masters, right? And that's something that we need to look for this week on this course. The guy's a veteran. He has plenty of experience. Um, I, I'm really high on Matt Kuchar. I don't think his ownership is going to be too high. I think kind of people are still looking at him as the old dog that's over the hill. So I'm going to I'm gonna definitely have some shares of him this week um, to kind of make a run. In addition to him, in a similar type of vein, is Mark Leishman. Uh, Mark Leishman's another guy who's got a great history here at the Masters. He plays well. He's similar. Like the year of COVID, he completely fell off, completely came off of anyone's radar of playing. He's He gained a lot of that form back, you know, end of last year, early this year. His most recent form, not great. He's missed his last two cuts, which is a little concerning. But if you want to just look at it as a guy, like people play for the Masters, like they spend their months preparing for us. If, if you're looking at it as he's coming here to compete at the Masters and he's done so in the past, I think Leishman could be a, a nice different play in this range. Yeah, it's interesting about Cockrick because, you know, he doesn't have much course experience. He just has last year, but he does seem to be a really good course fit in, in his game. Is I didn't realize his ownership percentage was that high. I mean, I'm looking at it now, too. And to, for him to be over 10%, obviously the secret's kind of out. But then again, Corey yeah, Connors yeah. is almost 20%. So, I mean, you're getting kind of an ownership discount relative to Corey Connors. But other guys I like, I mean, I like Connors. I like Cockrick. I haven't really decided on Brian Harmon. You kind of convinced me on Kucher a little bit because if you look at this guy's history since, let's say, 2010, I mean, there's nobody that's even close in the 6K range, maybe even the 7K range to his history. Well, 7K, we've got some winners in there with Sergio and some other guys. But, I mean, other than a miscut last year, 12th, 28th, 4th, 24th, 46th, 5th, 8th, 3rd. So, yeah, now the form has sort of gotten up to speed a little bit. So I, I think he's actually a pretty smart play, especially considering his ownership. I think a couple other guys I like, I mean, we didn't mention Matthew Wallace. I mean, Matthew Wallace is in good form. I mean, I, I know I know. Last, last year in 2020, it played a little different at the Masters, but there he is. <laughs> That's the picture when I started losing my lead is I was watching the Matt Wallace stream. He hits a ball and just sticks his arms out like this. I was like, oh, no, that cannot be a good sign. Like, he fell apart on Sunday. He I should have won apart. that tournament by, like, 15 or 20, and it ended up being, like, a point or two. But that's because yeah, so of Matt Wallace sweats. So you only won 50,000 by a few points instead of yeah. 10 or 20 points. Well, step um, on the throat. You know, that's what coaches teach us. <laughs> Him and Sebastian Munoz actually blew up uh, on Sunday of the Masters last year. But I also like Ryan Palmer. 
Um, I will be playing Matthew also. By the way, did you look at his strokes gained numbers, aggregate numbers last week at Valero? He was stupid good. Yeah, he, it, he gained 15 strokes. Kuchar was great totally. too. So I'm I'm with Joel on Kuchar. I think we overlooked him. Then right, sorry to interrupt real quick. Is there any love for Phil Mickelson? I'm just doing my player pool right now. Do I just take him out, or what do we do? Can, can you can you leave? Just press. <laughs> is there an X button? Yeah, like, wherever the X button is, yeah. just uh, just press the X button. We don't play Phil on this show. Uh, he's out. He's gone. But he's I will say, if there is a week, like his form has been slightly <clears> improved. <throat> But no, I'm still not going to play him. It's, it's a strict rule. He's out. But like, <laughs> if I ever were to consider it, I guess it'd be now, but I'm not. So I, I do want to ask you before we get to like the, the bets and some outrights and first round leaders and head to heads that, that I know I have. I think you guys have a few too. Um, Lonto Griffin, 6,400. Matt Jones, 6,300. Any love for those guys? Lonto more so than, than Matt Jones. I really like Lonto. He's very consistent. So I like when you're getting a, a consistent offer at 6,400. Uh, I definitely would lean more cash with him, but I'm not going to fade him in tournaments. He'll definitely be someone that I'm considering this week. Just for sure, you know, he's better than his price, and you can build lineups with a guy, a good golfer, with a lot of the elite guys. And, you know, if you get four of the top, you know, 10, and he gets, ends up 25th, that's probably going to be round out to, to work this week. Um, you're not going to be able, I don't think you'll be able to get a lineup with the all top five in it because they're probably all going to be, a lot of them are going to be higher priced. Um so yeah, yeah, I, I like I like Lonto a lot. And Nick, do you like Lonto? And is there any other six K guy that you want to throw out there that you're throwing in maybe one lineup because uh, you think you got a shot? CT Pan will be my zero percent ownership guy. Um, that's right. I think that's my Hagee of the week. But no, I will not play um, whoever you actually just mentioned. I already forgot because I Griffin. took him out. Yeah, no, <laughs> I usually always play Lonto, and I do love his price this week, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, he wasn't super impressive last week either. But, okay, so let's get to some outrights. I mean, you know, we kind of do – oh, go ahead, Joel. The one other name that none of us mentioned in this range I think could be interesting if you want to consider is Carlos Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Carlos Ortiz, you know, I think a lot of people are scared and are going to be scared of him. His ownership's going to be low because he's not the best iron player, which is usually the most important statistic. But I think this is a course where, um, you know, if he plays lights out like we've seen him do around the green and he putts great, which we've seen him have a few tournaments where – he excelled earlier this year. He can really compete this week. So I think he's he's definitely a GPP play. So when you want to take a shot on a low ownership with a low price, but I think he, he can get a hot week and, and he can compete. Yeah, I like that. I, I think he's a debutante, right? I don't think he's played here. So that that's maybe one knock yeah. against him. But again, he's got the upside and, and that's going to keep the ownership down. So it's definitely a, it's definitely a good uh, high risk, high reward play. Um, let me give my outrights real quick. And if you guys have, Nick, do you have some outrights too or no? Certainly. Certainly okay, Joel, do. you have a couple? Oh, yeah. So let me start with my outrights. Um, you, you guys know how I do first-round leaders and outrights. I mean, it's I'm not giving you kind of the, the short odds, guys. I'm giving you kind of the fun plays that hopefully you have a sweat on Sunday with, or in the first-round leader case, Thursday afternoon. Um, Webb Simpson, 35-1. to 1. Joaquin Neiman, he's 55-1 to 1 now. I think I got him at 60 or 66 a couple days ago. Um, Sergio at 60. Cockrack at 90. And I went, I went ahead and threw. Uh, we talked about him for a second. Max Home at hundred to one because I just, I just love the fact that he's hundred to one. I figured, I mean, he's scrappy, man. Like this guy, like I don't expect him necessarily to be there, but I think hundred to one is a big enough number for me to be like, hey, man, this guy just won. And then after he won, he top ten, you know, a tournament either the next tournament or the tournament after that. So I think he's in really, really good form, and I think hundred to one's a fun number. So those are my outrights. Um, I think in terms of just being realistic. I think Webb, Neiman, and Sergio are, are, 
decent values because I think, you know, they could potentially be there on Sunday. So uh, that's mine. Let's go to you, Joel, your outrights. So my, my fun outright, if you want to just lose your money but have fun doing it, uh, it's Francisco Molinari at 175 to 1, right? I think this is a guy who where if you want to look at, you need to have a course history here. He's got it. I mean, he's competed at the Masters in the past. Um, he fell apart, you know, last year during COVID, but he's regained some form recently. And, you know, in over the last six months or so, he's competed. He's showing up that he, he's, he's got some of that form back. So if you want to find a guy that can find some magic and get hot in a week, who's done it well in one of the toughest courses in the world. I mean, there's one at 175 to one. Um, now back into reality for guys that who we think can actually win the tournament. Um, I let go at 55 to one on a ticket with Jason day that, that he gets hot for the week. Um, I like, I do. I like Paul Casey at 35 to one, you know, him coming through on, on, on the U S tour, you know, right now and, and finishing his hot streak and my favorite play and my winner this week is Bryson. I don't know. All right, Nick, outrights. All right, my goofy ones are Ryan Palmer and Victor Perez at 200 to 1. I think those I are probably your, your light year money on fight. But Victor Perez is going to finish top 10. Watch that. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm betting both of those outrights. I'll put like two bucks on it just so I was like at the party. I want to be at the table when Ryan Palmer. I've self-proclaimed myself the, the president of the Ryan Palmer fan club. So I need to at least have a couple bucks on that. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Or Victor Perez is actually 250 to 1 on points bet. So there oh you go. Gosh. Um, I'm going to go back to the Hideki well at 66 to one. These are all pretty small bets. Don't do uh, just, don't do Justin, it. I'm going to do the Hideki. Thing. It's my no guy. He's my guy. It's not your guy. No, we're the, we, right. this is an intervention. This whole <laughs> thing was planned and set up. We're not even doing it. Like nobody's watching. This is just us three. It's totally a safe space. No more Hideki. We talked about putting in. No more Hideki. I take just Hideki, no Hideki for Hideki. some reason. All right. All right no Hideki. I'll, I'll get rid of it. I will I'll sell the <laughs> ticket. Um, Justin Rose at 100 to 1, just because if his back is right, that's a terrible price. I doubt he does much, but it's 100 to 1. He should be, you know, if he's healthy, he's 50 to 1 mo- at max. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Smith at 40 to 1, Paul Casey at 40 to 1, Justin Thomas at 11 and a half to 1. I got, and then I'm just hoping that Hatton ticket gets some noise from last year. So I wouldn't bet him now, but just because, you know, the value in that ticket's like gone significantly. But at 80 to 1, I, I'm going to enjoy cheering on Tyrrell Hatton. So I wanted to show this comment before we get into some more. Bets. So <laughs> I'm, this guy says I'm anti Nick. I'm totally feeding DJ Xander Hatton and Fleetwood love Cantley and Fitz. Just to be clear, we we are sort of acknowledging that that Hatton and Fleetwood in particular are very much contrarian plays. So the fact that you are fading it, William, is sort of evidence as to why we're, we're playing it. And what I mean by that is. I think most people are fading those guys. In fact, almost everybody is fading. 90 to 95% of people who are playing DFS are fading. And so it's it's not like for me, when I like when I say I like Hatton and Fleetwood, for me at least, and Nick, maybe Nick has a different take on this, I'm not playing them everywhere. But I'm playing them enough to really lap the field if they happen to do well. So that's yep. sort of my take on that. Like the fact that you're hate, the, the, the fact that William's fading Hatton and Fleetwood totally makes sense. That's sort of part of the reason we're trying to like – it's ownership leverage, you know, trying to lap the field a little bit. As far as fading DJ entirely, I mean, I just don't think that's, I just don't think that's something that really anybody should do. I mean, because especially since he's not really that chalky. I mean, he's expensive, but pricing is soft, so you can take an expensive guy and still have a great lineup. So, I mean, the fact that he is one of the lower owned guys in the in the elite range, I think, makes it all the more, you know, 
it's it's all the more reason to take DJ in my opinion. But I, I just wanted to put that out there. Like, like William, I'm sure your lineups are, are looking good. I, I love Cantley and Fitz as well. Uh, I like Fitz probably a little bit more than Cantley personally. But um, the fact that you're hate, uh, you're fading Hatton and Fleetwood, I mean that that actually makes a lot of sense. Xander too, he's not getting a lot of attention. Um, do you want to go to first round leader guy, or do you want to, do you want to save that for the end and do some head to heads and top forties? Joel, what do you think? First round leader. I'm ready to rock. Let's do first round leader. Okay. So uh, who wants to start? Nick, you start. First round leader? Yeah. Um, Victor Perez. I'm going to stay on brand here. What's the What's the number? I didn't even look. It's got to be All crazy right. high, like it's 300 to 1. Yeah. It's, it's probably I'll, like find, I'll find it and report back. Or something. Uh, yeah. Joel, first round leader. So my, my favorite first round leader play is going to be Matt Kuchar at 70 to one. I'm thinking he's going to have a little bit of that success hangover, come out hot day one. Um, and it was, I think Matt Kuchar leading after day one is a little bit more realistic than, you know, taking a ticket on him to win the whole thing. So, you know, I do think he's going to do well. I, I probably will put some a ticket or two on him, maybe like in the top 40 or 30 markets. But uh, for a first round leader at 70 to one, I think we can get some good value. You know, it's the Masters with so many big names. This week of more than – it's hard to find a long shot uh, just because, you know, they're going to beat DJ, Thomas, all these guys are in this field. But another one to look at, just because I think he's just getting overlooked this week by by DraftKings, um, is Ryan Palmer at 80-1. to 1. Like He can definitely come out and, and have a hot day one. So uh, those will be my, my two first-round leaders. Perez right. is only 65-1, to 1, so uh, maybe maybe his odds drop as the podcast is going or something. Uh, on draft, All the sharps are back them. On, on, to win the tournament or to win first round leader? First round on FanDuel is sixty five to one. I didn't check DK yet. He's eighty to one on DraftKings. That's that's the way to go then, I guess. If, if I'm doing it, I don't yeah, think I'll actually punch that ticket, but I got it. I, I have to. You're right. <laughs> All right. So I have six first round leaders. I, I normally only give out five, but it's the Masters. Let me give out an extra one. And of course, <laughs> the breaking news is the guy who's actually going to win the first round leader. So I'll make this super quick. We've gone. Just over an hour, we'll have a couple of head-to-heads that I, w- I want to mention and maybe some uh, top 20s and top 40s. But let me start with Sergio Garcia and Abraham Answer at 50-1. to 1. I just, Love it. Those guys, those guys can be first-round leaders. I don't think I really need to add much. They're great ball strikers. They're not going to do it over four days most likely, but they can certainly do it over one. Just side note, they're also playing kind of in that morning wave. Uh, so the, the, course, the course conditions might be a little bit better, more receptive for them. Uh, is my guess, especially with the, the greens being fast in the afternoon. They, they might, those Sergio in particular with the putter might enjoy the morning a little bit more. Uh, Jason Cockrack at 60 to 1. Matthew Wallace coming in at really good form at 66 to 1. Sebastian Munoz at 80 to 1. And then the breaking news at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, the Tuesday before the Masters, is that your first round leader, who's only had one go at this course uh, professionally, your first round leader, at 50 to 1. Thursday afternoon, you guys will be cashing this ticket. So I need you to go to the bank and take out all your money and put it on this guy. He's got a really cool name. It's also hard to spell. Joaquim Neiman is your first round leader at 50 to 1. Just put everything you have on it. It's the smart thing to do. <laughs> all right. With that, now that everybody's been blessed with um, that good news, uh, any have you guys looked at the – Joel, you probably haven't. I don't know if you have or not, but Nick, head-to-head, I, I know you have the better golf pod, and you probably gave out, and Spencer Aguiar gave out a, a ton of picks there. Can you give me maybe like one or two that you really like that you know you're betting? Head-to-head, I'm yeah, 
there not a ton that I found. Like I feel like a lot of these, especially in these gimmicky tournaments, I'll give you one, like just because I have to. I can't just sit here and punt. Um, but it's so tough to get good pricing in these gimmicky tournaments like that because you're going against like Dustin or Bryson or, or Jordy mm-hmm. and or Justin Thomas. Like I don't prefer to do stuff like that because it, it's like the, to me there's no edge. Um, I can't even where the hell are we at here. Um, let's go to FanDuel, and I'll pull up a matchup on the spot that I did like earlier. Um, I'm sorry here. Hey, while you're pulling that up, I do want. To, I don't like these as head-to-heads, but I do want to point them out because the disparity in pricing from a DraftKings standpoint is is really interesting here. So, on DraftKings Sportsbook, Corey Connors is minus 120 versus Adam Scott. Now, remember, Corey Connors is 6900. I believe Adam Scott is 7600. So that kind of tells you where the sports books are at in terms of valuing Corey Connors versus Adam Scott. The other one I noticed, just you know, I didn't look at all of these, but the other one that I noticed that really jumped out at me, Matthew Wallace is minus 120 against Ian Poulter. Now they're both kind of low in terms of pricing, but Wallace is way lower at 6,400. So uh, those are kind of things like, you know, if if you have a tie between Wallace and Poulter, my thought would be, okay, well, what do the sports books think? You know, I I doubt Matthew Wallace is taking a ton of money right off the bat to to give you that line. So I think that's probably where the sports book, and Nick, you could speak to this more than I could, but that's probably where the sports book books opened it up. So uh, those are some some things like from a strategy standpoint, you sometimes want to, even if you're not betting, you sometimes want to look, and Better Golf Pod is really good about speaking to stuff like this, but sometimes want to actually look at the Vegas odds because they can tell you a lot of things that you might not have seen just by looking at the DraftKings pricing. Yeah, especially if you're like in between on who do I want to pick on here. Like uh, if it's uh, one golfer or another, I think just go look at the head-to-heads and see like who is giving – you know, money uh, to the other matchup and stuff like that. Like right now, like here's one that I will do not understand at all. And Spencer and I both want to pick on Matt Wolf. Like I'll just go look, find every matchup he's in. Phil Mickelson's plus 140 against Matt Wolf in the, in the matchup oh. there. I will take Mickelson all day just to, yeah, I think they both may be terrible this week and miss the cut, but Phil's history here and he's not going to get in like, he's not going to lay a massive number. Like if he misses the cut, it's going to be by, you know, one or two strokes in my opinion. So, I think Matt Wolf could easily go shoot like a 10 over one day here, especially with the fast greens and, and how bad he is around the green and how bad he's been lately. But yeah, giving Phil plus 140 at pretty much his second home all day, I'll take that against a struggling Matt Wolf. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Phil's game has been pretty good, especially on approach lately. Uh, Wolf kind of made a little bit of a bounce back in match play in terms of not looking awful. So I have no idea where the guy's game is at, but no, I totally hear you. Plus 140 against Matt Wolf with, with Phil's history here. It makes sense. Um, Joel, did I ask you? Did you have any head-to-heads as well? I don't. I don't the site that I use doesn't have them out yet, so I don't have any yet. Gotcha. And uh, so let's go to top twenties or top forties. I have a couple top, or a few top twenties that I like, and then Nick, I'll kick it to you, and then we'll just wrap up. But Joaquin Neiman at plus one sixty-four. You guys know. I mean, again, his course experience get, has me a little nervous here, but top twenty Neiman plus one sixty-four. I genuinely, genuinely think. Neiman is a top 10 talent in this field, or at least top 15. And I just, if he just plays a slightly above average, I think you're, you're cashing that plus 164 on Joaquin Neiman. Uh, Sergio Garcia at plus 188 and Jason Cockrack at plus 225. Those are all top 20 bets that I'll probably sprinkle a little bit of money on. Uh, I'm not going to go heavy on any of those. Uh, you know, obviously all my money is going to be on Neiman uh, as first round leader at 50 to one. So I won't have much more money to go around, but also that's a joke. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, please don't put a lot of money on your first round leaders. But uh, uh, Nick, top 20s or top 40s? Any? Oh, you're on mute. 
Sorry about that. All right. So for top 40s, I, there's only really two that I found an edge on based on my house numbers compared to the books is Ryan Palmer plus 120 on nice. points bet. I price him at minus 150 and their DraftKings right now has him at minus 162. FanDuel has him at minus 140. So I'm, you know, getting a minimum of 80 point value right there on Ryan Palmer. And then Victor Perez plus 130 on points bet. I have him at minus 110, so I don't have that big of an edge there, like a 40-point edge from my books. But minus 120 on DK, that was pretty good to see. So I'm going to go with that. And then two top 20s. Again, it's Victor Perez at 4-1. to one. I mentioned it earlier. I just think that's a bad price. And then Abraham Onser at plus 270 to finish top 20 on points bet. Yeah, that Palmer price is really, really good. Uh, I'm yep. going to have to look at my book to see where they have him as a top 40 because I definitely think – I mean, I, I think Corey Connors and Ryan Palmer, when you're when you're rostering them in DFS, I don't think you should really – and we talked about this in, in Wind Daily Discord earlier with one of the users that, that are subscribers that sent a, a lineup over. We – Palmer and Connors, like, they, they really – shouldn't be in the 6k range so when you when you dip down there and you're like oh i've got two 6k guys in my lineup it's true you do technically but connor's could easily be 7400 and palmer could easily be 7100 even with this soft pricing i mean i'm not really sure i understand the palmer thing at 6500 at least you'd think he'd be somewhere in like the 68 6700 range so i I think any play on palmer uh, whether it's in the head-to-head market or top 40 market is uh, or first round leader market joel i might have to join you on that because i'm I, i 80 to one, I think is what you said. That sounds good. All right. So guys, that's the master show. Any finishing thoughts? So listen, Joel, you had Bryson winning this. Is there, you sticking to that? Bryson's winning this thing? Definitely sick of that. Yeah. Bryson's my guy. So my guy is, and it's super chalky, kind of like Bryson is, but this, this guy is maybe not as chalky DFS wise, but I think Dustin Johnson's winning this. I think he's going to come out firing. I think he's still probably mad that Kevin Knott called him out on that thing, which is why he registered and <laughs> tried to play in the Valero Texas Open in the first place. And then he probably realized, oh, Kevin Knott's not playing in that, so screw it. Like, I'll just wait for the Masters. But uh, I think I think this is DJ's tournament to lose. And I think even though he's been a little shaky off the tee lately, he's had a couple weeks, and even when he's shaky off the tee, he can usually make up for it in other ways. Um, Nick, who's winning this tournament outright? Uh, I'm going to take two guys, Justin Rose and Victor Perez, because – I'm going for bombs this week. So, because we took the chalk, so you're the hero. I get That's it. right. No, I like that actually. I mean, just, <laughs> listen, Justin Rose. I think he is healthy. Um, I he and and he he was good in the tournament he pulled out of. He was really good up until he hit like a thousand in the water. So I totally get that. Um, are you guys excited? Any any final thoughts, Joel? Any final thoughts on the Masters? What are you looking forward to the most? So listen, watching the Masters, like the coverage, like this is the most fun golf tournament just to get involved in. So obviously, if you're listening to the show, you're probably some way DFS, you're some way you're going to have some action on this. So there's a reason to tune in. But I would definitely say if, if, a lot of times there's not that much coverage. Like seek it out this week. It's it's entertaining. The Masters is the Super Bowl of golf, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Nick, what are you looking forward to the most? Yeah, you can get like four TVs going of, of coverage, maybe even five. But uh, Saturday is going to be the inaugural Masters uh, scramble in my garage. So I got a, a bunch of buddies coming over. We're doing a three-man scramble all day, double elimination tournament. So a little uh, March Madness in April for us, but I'll put some TVs in the garage. So when you're not hitting, you're watching that. So if someone shanks one, like, do you want to put odds on a broken TV in the garage? I guess cause you already <laughs> called, you called the light bulb the first week. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, for, for those that don't know what you're talking about, first of all, you, you go to Sticks Picks Twitter because it's it's excellent for a variety of reasons. Draft Master Flex as well. But 
Um, what are you talking about when you say that? Because some people not know, might not know. Yeah, the simulator in the garage. So I got like a, a golf simulator set up there, and um, yeah, we'll be drinking beers. I think the first match is at twelve, and we probably won't be finished till like eight or nine at night. So it could get it could get wild pretty quick. Have you thought about live streaming portions, if not all of that? Because that would be I, I could I guess awesome. yeah. I, you know what? Maybe I will. Um, <laughs> Well, as long as you don't work for ESPN, because you saw what happened to Paul Pierce. You don't want to get involved. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he called game. Um, all right. <laughs> all right, friends. Uh, it's It's been real. We won. So, I mean, I, I've never won as much money as I did in, in golf DFS as I did the, the last go of the Masters. So yeah, same here. I, I, not, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to repeat it, but I'm definitely looking forward to it because I think we're, we're kind of dialed in on this one. We certainly were last year as well. And uh I'm looking for a subscriber and uh, writer uh, green screen. So um, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the Better Golf Podcast as well. That's B-E-T-T-O-R, Golf Podcast. And uh, make sure you smash the like button if you're watching this on YouTube. And uh, thanks for watching the Win Daily PGA live stream. See you soon, folks. <laughs>